I think about content with a soul. Now, if we think that having a soul is something that imbibes people with a meaning, a purpose, an essence, content with a soul is writing or communications, can be verbal, can be visual, can be metaphorical, that touches you. It's something that transcends the ordinary. It's something that makes people feel, and not just feel in their heart, but feel in their gut, feel in their head, feel, feel all of themselves. Content with a soul transcends the ordinary. You're listening to All Things Content from Avenue CX, delivering you cutting-edge insights into the past, present, and future of all topics related to content. Here's your host, Kevin Nichols. Hello, and welcome to All Things Content. I'm your host, Kevin P. Nichols. Today, I am joined with Gina Ballerin. She is hailing from uh, Australia and a complete 14-hour time difference for me. It's actually the next day there. Um, before we begin, just to give you a little bit of her bio, if you can, take a look at her LinkedIn profile. We'll put that up here in the information of the podcast. The link tree alone speaks volumes for this woman's uh just amazing experience uh, in content as well as just her life experience as well. Um, she is a speech writer. She provides strategic advice on copywriting, content marketing, and mentoring. She's the founder and director of a company called Verbalistics. It works with B2B business, like clients and businesses anywhere from Verizon to Mercer to SAP, large global brands. Um, and she helps with communication, with content, with developing meaningful narratives and storytelling, and all sorts of other things related to how a brand positions itself vis-a-vis -vis its customers in a meaningful and in a uh, insightful as well as resonating manner. She's also the author of a book called The Secret Army, Leadership, Marketing, and the Power of People, which highly recommend. It's, it's a fascinating read. She's an international keynote speaker, and she's also a TED speaker. Uh, an interesting little factoid that I found on her LinkedIn profile was that she's a former ballet dancer and magician's assistant, which makes complete sense if you see her speak, because she just has this charisma and way of connecting with the audience and just sort of natural air about her when she's on stage, um, which, which um, again, I, I would recommend that you look at the TED speech. It's fascinating. We're going to get into that a little bit here. Um, so she joins me from Brisbane. I'm going to let you uh, speak now, Gina. Did I miss anything in your bio that you want to point out or anything that I forgot to add there? Oh, well, I've been in marketing for a long time, and it's quite a sense of pride for me to actually be able to talk about marketing as something that people can get excited about. And I sit on the board of the Chartered Institute of Marketing. I'm a fellow of the Chartered Institute of Marketing. I'm also a fellow of the Australian Marketing Institute. And these are, you know, just accolades, but they actually mean far more to me because being a marketer doesn't just mean you're serving customers. It actually means you're serving people and audiences and you're helping make a difference through the products that you're promoting. And that's perhaps why we... Uh, sometimes feel a little bit awkward as marketers because we're promoting things that we don't necessarily ethically agree with. But I know we're going to get into that later, Kevin. And thank you for the amazing and glowing introduction. I love it. And absolutely we are. So when I asked you if you would uh, be on my podcast, you said absolutely. And you came back with, I want to talk about content with a soul. I thought, wow, this, this is going to be an interesting and fun show. Um, 
and then I kind of uh, facetiously jokes and said, you know, I'm assuming we're not deconstructing an Etta James song or a, a holy book. Uh, so, so what do you mean by content with the soul? And you got back to me and you started to give me some more definition around that. Uh, so I want to start with content with a soul. What do you mean by content with a soul? Well, let's start by what is a soul. It's something intangible, right? The actual definition of a soul is that it's actually the essence of life feeling, passion, emotional depth. And in, in many original, in many religions, soul is the part that consists of your mind, your character, your thoughts and your feelings. And many believe that it continues after your body is dead. So that's the dictionary definition of soul, according to the Collins English Dictionary. So what we want to think about with content, with a soul, is that we're not trying to do cultural appropriation here. There's a difference between content with soul. I'm no African-American, even though I was born in Africa. I think about content with a soul. Now, if we think that having a soul is something that imbibes people with a meaning, a purpose, an essence, content with a soul is writing or communications, can be verbal, can be visual, can be metaphorical, that touches you. It's something that transcends the ordinary. It's something that makes people feel, and not just feel in their heart, but feel in their gut, feel in their head, feel, feel all of themselves. Content with a soul transcends the ordinary. Yeah, and I was going to wait for this, but just to kind of give the audience some examples, I you had sent over some examples, and one of them was uh, Virgin Airways. Uh, oh God, when was that ad? It was probably in the nineties. It was um, nineteen eighty nine, a long time ago. I actually, when I saw that ad, remembered it, and the point of the ad is basically that it's about how they facilitate travel and connection with with humans, and and it shows these cluster of people that are wearing. Uh, I think some of the women have sari or whatever, but they're all the same color and they form an eye and it ends up forming a face. And I believe the campaign was called the face um, at the end of the commercial, but it's all about this sort of feeling of what the airline does in allowing people to travel and discover the world, but also connect in the process of doing so. And it's an incredible ad. Um, and those of you that were around then, including myself, will probably remember it because it was on network uh, television, I believe. Um, it's, it's a really good example of what you're talking about here. You also reference, uh, McKinsey kids and, and their, uh, campaign to sort of reach out to younger audiences to inform them about, uh, sort of being stewards of, of the world and in the, in the future generations and, and, and what that means. Um, give some other examples and speak to those just quickly, if you don't mind. Well, let's begin with the first example you mentioned. And it's interesting that you associate with Virgin. It was, in fact, a British Airways advert, which just goes... Was it? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, then. (laughs) It just goes to show that marketing can, with a soul, can transcend, but you still have to have a very, very clear brand message and very clear showing of your brand. So that, that resonated with you down the decades, and yet... The brand wasn't consistent or coherent enough in the way they approached that advert to be able to make their brand stand out, which tells me that British Airways may have done original advertising well back in the late 80s and 90s, but they may not have content with a soul today. Well, and also, just so you know, I've 
I struggle with like memory issues, <laughs> just short term and executive functioning. So it could very well be that too. Just okay, all right. And to be fair, it's me asking you to say your last name like four times because it's like it's it's interesting the way my mind just sort of doesn't always process immediately. But I do recall the commercial, and I, you know, conflating Virgin to British Airways is probably not something British Airways would like, but. Yeah, it could be that. <laughs> Go ahead, sorry. But it does transcend. And you described the advert absolutely beautifully for someone who hasn't watched it and who wasn't, you know, alive at the time. Maybe some of our audience members uh, weren't actually around to remember it. But what was fascinating about it, it is it was itself groundbreaking. Um in the time in South Africa, which is where I grew up, the concept of putting people of lots of different colors on adver- on on a television was actually a little bit contentious. Uh, we were in the time of apartheid and you didn't see people who had faces that weren't white on TV. And I think maybe that's partly why it was such an amazing experience for me, because it was literally the whole world coming together to celebrate something. And let's not ignore the fact that the music was transcendental. You mm-hmm. cannot watch that advert without feeling uplifted by this incredibly emotional message that brings people together. And at the end, the face actually You zoom out on the face and it transforms from a winking eye into a map of the world. Yeah, I love that. I had, yeah, I love that. It's a very brief um, uh, sort of end cap to it, but it does. And, and it, and you can see Africa and you can make out North and South America and I believe part of Europe, but yes, it's an incredible, it's an incredible uh, ad that goes from the winking eye immediately into that. But there's a using people to do it. Go ahead. If we think that content with a soul is only the domain of big brands and big advertisers, we've got it wrong because content with a soul can be incredibly local and incredibly relevant. I've come mm-hmm. across a brand in Australia called Koala. You wouldn't be surprised by this. You know, everybody thinks koalas are these cute little fluffy things that you'd associate with a bedding brand, brand that sells beds and bed frames and linen and so on. But actually, Koala manages to create content with a soul because they understand their audience very well. They write blog posts that are related to sleep and sleeping well. And, you know, there are articles on there on how do koalas sleep and do fish dream and all of these crazy kind of things because they're able to connect with the zeitgeist of their audience. Now, mm-hmm. in, these are B2B examples, but it is very uh, B2C examples, business to consumer examples. But it is also possible for B2B brands to do it. It's just much harder. So one of the beautiful examples I'd like to share is a campaign I worked on with a company called Mercer. Now, you may not be mm-hmm. familiar with Mercer. They're a consultants. They're kind of like the big four, like KPMG and Deloitte and so mm-hmm. on. But yes. they, as a company, from my experience, have a little bit more soul. They genuinely care very deeply about their customers. And I was privileged to work on a campaign with them a few years ago where we did a case study about the special education needs of children in Singapore. And during this campaign, we actually interviewed people who'd worked on that campaign and pulled it together in a video that showcased the power of their work as consultants, but also the relevance in this audience. And what happened was we created a video that was this close to making you cry. Now, if we'd tweaked the music a little bit, I think we could have absolutely tugged. (laughs) 
there were moments when the people on camera, you could hear the guy talking about how proud he was to share about working with education. You could sense the catch in his voice. And we decided not to go that extra route, that to, to make it literally a tearjerker because we wanted to keep it professional. We wanted to make sure that people realize that this is a professional company that's got heart, but it's not about actually amplifying it in a way that we're just playing, not playing for laughs, playing for, you know, tears. But it was such a beautiful campaign that we were able to illustrate the soul of the individuals in the company and the soul of the company itself and what they stood for in a video. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and the examples that we've given are video and video includes, you know, basically music, it includes voice, it includes action, it includes uh, the representation of characters or, or of actors or, or whatnot. Can it lend itself to print? Oh, yes, absolutely it can. I talked about the koala content. That is, in fact, blog post-led. And I'll give mm. you an example, and forgive me if this seems a bit arrogant, but it happens to me all the time. I will write content and forget that I've written it and come back to it. And last week I was working with a client. Uh, she had this – is, this is how my ghost, ghost writing process is. Um, I'll interview a client. I'll jot down almost word for word. I can type almost word for word. And um, then – transition what they've said into a blog post that they can be proud of. So mm -hmm. people tend to speak off the cuff in a slightly less logical way than you would if you were writing an article. So we take the content, we reframe it, we put top and tail, it, we put headlines in, we make sure that we get to the end of it with a piece of content they can be proud of. But in between, you've got to link and connect the paragraph and the logical sequences. And mm -hmm. so what we're able to do is connect those in a way that requires some some filler content, a paragraph here or there. <laughs> I was chatting with a client and she loved the content and she subsequently went away and made sure that it sounded as much like her as possible because the filler content doesn't always sound exactly like the person who, who did the original interview. And there was a paragraph in there and I said to her, wow, that's a really great piece of content. Did, is that one that you changed? And she laughed at me and she said, no, Gina, you wrote that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so the point is that sometimes things are written that express a feeling that is more. And that's really what content with a soul is. It's more. Yeah. And I think if you've yeah. ever read an article that you're like, wow, it's so impactful to just cut through the noise, that is content with a soul. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we all have our go-to places for where we get that. And it's going to resonate differently with different people, you know, but I think everybody has their kind of niche uh, places where they go to, 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 to experience that, um, which gets to, I want to go back to uh, another thing that I was going to ask you about, because you had such an interesting response here. So we've defined what content with the soul is. Um and yes, we're going to get to how it is that, that 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 you do that. But before then, I want to kind of build up to some other layers that I think are important to unpack. And one of them is, is I asked you specifically who the target audience is, because I always do that with people coming on the show. And you answered in a way that nobody has answered before. You said humans who are interested in language, power, influence, and how to improve the way they communicate. 
I want to start with the word power because I that that really stuck out to me as like wow power. Um, why power? There was a book again from the nineties published called Language and Power by Norman Fairclough. And when I read this at the time, many years later, it struck me how embodied the sense of power is within language. And the way we use mm. words, we don't actually realize that the words we're using are already a choice. We choose the words we use, but the words themselves have a type of power. They come out of a context, they come out of a society, they come out of a way of seeing the world. And the irony is that I picked up Norman Fleckloff's book, Language and Power, the other day and realized that he was talking a lot about the subtext and the subconscious approach to advertising and the manipulation embodied in marketing, certainly in a lot of advertising, certainly of that era. And I realized that while people have done a lot to expose the way we see the world, and we talk about issues like Black Lives Matter, we talk about things that are going on in our society, about egalitarianism and making sure that people of all genders are represented. But the language that we use often embodies the culture of the time that those words were created. And so in some cases, we can use words, hey guys, let's join us. Does that talk about the cultural element that men are somehow senior? I don't know. It doesn't mean that to me. But it might mean that to someone who doesn't want to be called a guy or who doesn't want to be referred to in the generic of the plural guys. And this mm -hmm. is why language and power are so intimately linked. It's because we often aren't aware of the choices that we make when we use words because they're just part of our culture. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. And I know that, you know, we don't have enough time to sort of deconstruct language and power and all the sort of implications there, but there are many. And I, that, that word stuck out to me when you said for the target audience. What I also like though, is you sort of brought it back to any human that is interested in improving the way they communicate, which is not, again, that's pretty broad, but I love that you're thinking about it in that way, right? As opposed, and you said humans who are interested in language power and influence and how, and how to improve the way they communicate actually. Um, but it's a way to define an audience that's different than looking at it demographically or industry vertical wise or, you know, whatnot. And so I found that fascinating that that's, and I'm, I'm guessing that that's kind of how you think too, when you are writing or when you are communicating. Well, there's a difference between whether I'm communicating for a specific audience or I'm communicating more generally. So right. we were going to have this conversation. I didn't want anyone to feel excluded unless mm -hmm. they're not interested in language or power or improving the way they communicate, because then they won't have anything to, to gain from listening to this podcast. But what I want to do is be able to make sure that if someone is a B2B marketer or a B2C marketer, they can still listen in. If someone is in um, the mining industry or the banking industry, they can still listen in. If someone is male or female or transgender, they can still listen in. If someone it believes in a certain religious deity or not, they can still listen in. And you're right, that is the way I think, that I see people as a reflection of who they are and how they live, rather than how they choose to define themselves according to society. But is it the way that I write? No. When I'm writing for a specific audience, I have to deeply understand what it is that makes them tick. 
And I think that's part of what creates content with a soul. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can create content with a soul when you understand what will influence your audience's soul. And that doesn't come easily. It requires asking deep questions and being truly interested in the answer. It's a deep level of empathy that I don't think a lot of brands get correctly. And in other words, they want to sugarcoat it or create this sort of veneer that they are thinking that way, but it's false because it's not real and it's not true empathy. Sadly, you have a good point, Kevin. And I'm not saying that this is all. I think that what you're doing goes deeper. I think that it involves empathy and it involves understanding that more than just let's look at the customer journey. How do you do that? How do you really get to that point of understanding the audience? I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Well, me personally is about that deep fascination with humans and how they think and how they use language to reflect the way they're thinking. Mm-hmm. How do people generally in content marketing or in marketing generally find that moment of truth, that inspiration that helps them build great content? Well, it's it's relatively easy to do if you're interested. Is it easy to master? No. So in order to be able to identify your audience, you need to ask questions. That mm-hmm. means conducting audience surveys. It means um, having conversations with your customers. It means asking the often uncomfortable questions and being willing to listen to the answers. In a lot of companies, if you can identify what drives you, why you do what you do, and I'm not talking about making money. Every company theoretically Mm. should make money, but not every company cares about how they make money. Mm -hmm. It's much easier to create content with a soul when you know what drives a company. When there is some reason or meaning or purpose that they exist, that reason or meaning or purpose behind a company's brand can then be communicated into content with a soul, assuming that they all believe that that is their meaning and purpose. Yeah, and I think that's why the whole greenwashing of the ESG stuff doesn't really work for companies like the the energy companies who, let's face it, probably don't do the, are not doing it because of, of that purpose. Um, but yet they communicate as if that's their sole purpose for existence. And I think that you're really onto something like when you find the meaning for what it is that your company exists, which is above and beyond just making money, that's really the sort of authenticity and the soul of your company that you're communicating out to the audience. And, and, and therefore it is real. And people are going to be able to glean that and understand that. That's a beautiful point. There's a reason I called my TEDx talk at the last minute, Confessions of a Liar, Marketing in the era. <laughs> Originally, it was supposed to be called Why Now is the Best Time in History to Be in Marketing. And then I realized actually two things. One, I had a confession to make, which is that I thought all marketing was advertising. And it's not. And I thought that all advertising was fake. And it's not. As we've seen, some advertising can be really emotionally connected, can be genuinely authentic. But the other element here is that we are living in an era of authenticity if it's possible to be authentic. And your point about greenwashing, uh, environmental sustainability and governance goals that are fake, run the risk of tainting the goals of being good with ESG. We aren't authentic if we use greenwashing. It's as simple as that. Well, and I tell people all the time that are standing up that type of content or even meaningful 
the meaningful uh, elements of their brand, you've got to be able to make a statement and demonstrate impact. So it's you've got to be able to speak to it, but also demonstrate it of how you're impacting your employees because everything starts at home. You, you know, you are the sum of your of your people. So you first of all your employees, second of all your community, third of all the larger world around you. Think more global, um, and and fourth of all the customer. And it's really got to be able to demonstrate it on all four of those pillars. And yes, I know that ESG folks are going to say, well, you've also got to demonstrate it to the regulatory and compliance of, of, mm-hmm. of, of ESG, which is true. But if you can't make that case and show how you're having meaning for all of those things, because people see those things as interconnected, then then you're not able to, to, to tell that story of how you are meaningful, I, I think, in, in those areas. And I think that that you need to do some soul searching and figure out, well, really what is, and, and maybe let's face it, not all brands are there to benefit humanity. Some brands are there to benefit their shareholders or themselves. That is the case. <laughs> That's definitely the case, Kevin. You're absolutely right. But the ones that are have a story to tell, and I think they can connect and I think they can differentiate and I think they can be, they can rise above that. And I think that they can really show that they're in it for, more than just themselves. And and there are many brands out there that are, there really are. I mean, I'm not a cynic. I think that, you know, building trust and, and building authenticity is possible. And I think that there's a lot of brands that start off with that in mind, you know, let's, I want to move to this. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about something I didn't know about you, which is that uh, you make the case for, I, I love this line, facts tell, but stories sell. And you go on to discuss this story, what you call stories as a service. And it means that you help brands identify their story and identify the people who can provide evidence that their story makes a difference in their lives. And this plays right into what we're talking about. But I want you to unpack that for me a bit. And, and how do you do that? And what does that mean exactly? So the stories with a service is a pun on the customers that I serve, which is software as a service. You've got to be able to collect the stories from your organization somehow. And so the stories as a service diagram that I share with people who want to understand what works comes off the back of some deep soul searching and also some deep experience with brands who struggle. Brands struggle to get case studies. They struggle to get customer stories for various reasons. Sometimes it's because we're scared to ask for those stories and permission to share them. Um, sometimes it's hard to get customer stories because there's a sense, oh, we've done something wrong for the customer and we don't want to actually ask them. It's an embarrassment thing. Sometimes people don't ask for stories because they don't know how. So stories as a service is a trifecta of the content and knowing how to gather that content and where to put it, your customers, the people who are going to give you those stories, and a way of collecting people together in a culmination point that makes it easy for them to share stories. In this case, it can often be events. Now, if you set things up right at an event, you can inspire the customers who are attending the event. You meet them face-to-face or even virtually, and then you interview them. You ask them those questions about what is it that makes their experience great with your brand. Hmm. You can use that in content formats all over the place, you know, in case studies, blog posts, audios, videos, snippets, quotes, logos, however you want to use that content. But what we often forget to do is that it needs to be amplified, not only externally using a variety of different content media, but also internally. 
Once you've got happy customer stories, the people who are going to use those the most, if they care about them, are in fact your sales team. And this is something that actually plays well into the stories as a service model, because it's actually not just about the stories, it's about the people and the emotional connections they make during those stories. Because in order to get happy customers at the end of a journey, you got to get happy customers right from the beginning of the journey. And that means having a strong customer relationship. I love that, that you're talking about bringing that back into the company as well as just sort of external. Because I think, again, it gets back to one of the things that I advocate for, which is it's, it's your company shouldn't have this firewall where everything that goes on in the inside is separate from what goes on in the outside, right? Like if you're really a meaningful brand, you should be able to demonstrate impact to your employees. They should be able to tell that story uh, to the external world. And, and they should also be able to have reach with the customers who are also impacting their experience as an employee. And I love how you're talking about bringing that back into the company and showing them those stories as well. The last element of stories as a service is actually being able to set up your company and your employees for success in terms of being able to get the customer story out at the end. Yes, I you need it. to set up your um, customer experience so that it's good at the end, but you also need to be able to set it up right from the contract stage. If you've got a contract that requires your customers to give a testimonial, good or bad, that will help you all the way through the journey. If you set it up so that you know that customer interviews and customer surveys are part of that process, your brand will be more in touch with your customers. But there's one element, and this is, I think, where people mostly miss a trick. You need to be able to identify who are your happy customers. How do you know? Well, you know by asking the people who have direct contact with your customers. And that might be your support team. It might be your customer service managers, might be your customer account managers, might be your sales team. If they're going to go back in and try to cross-sell and upsell, mostly though, it is about the people who deal with the stuff that goes wrong. And the irony is we think that when we've got unhappy customers, that they will always be unhappy. Nothing could be further from the truth. Unhappy customers can be happy customers simply by applying intelligent ways of solving their problems. And you know what happens? When you solve a customer's problem, they actually become more loyal. Yeah. And I think when you make a mistake and you admit it and you're able to work through that and demonstrate that you're able to come out stronger in that relationship together, they, they, they become more loyal too. If you think about the ladder of loyalty, uh, the marketing diagram actually talks about customers going from purely customers transactional all the way up to advocates who really love your brand. And I think that actually there's a layer beyond that. If you go beyond advocacy, what happens is that you have worked together through something challenging and you've been able to emerge victorious at the end of it. And what happens is those, those failures, those struggles, those frustrations actually build a deeper sense of empathy and connection between your company and your customers. And I can guarantee you it gives you better case studies. At the end yeah. of the day, if you're able to solve a customer's problem well, and you've gone through that journey of dissatisfaction, your case studies are far more authentic. They're real. You can talk about yeah. how the relationship is multifaceted. Great customer stories aren't just about the glorious stuff because we all know things go wrong in a customer relationship. It's about how you deal with it afterwards. 
Yeah. Uh, Margot Bloomstein wrote a book recently called Trustworthy, and she talks a lot about vulnerability and exposing vulnerability as an aspect to your uh, to, to the way that you're communicating out your brand experience and your brand to customers and that that's actually a good thing. So showing them that you're not necessarily the, the entity that has all the answers and gets it all right all the time and exposing uh, where you make mistakes or letting people in on the secret that you might not have all the answers all the time. I mean, and it's a real way to establish authenticity, I think, and connect. Because you're right. Not every customer story, and no customer story is going to be 100% rosy if they, if you tell the whole story, right? <laughs> well, I think there are customers where they're rosy for the vast majority of the time. And there right. are some customers which become an extension of yourself. They almost become partners. I'll right. share another story of, a, of content with a soul, if I may. Yes, absolutely. A few months ago, I was approached by a customer of mine to say, we've got this fellow who needs to talk at an event. It's the biggest event we're hosting. We've been working on this for a year and someone needs to stand up on the stage and talk about this thing we're doing. They're launching an innovation center. It's brand new for them and it's epic. It's a game changer for their brand. And the person who is prepared to stand up on stage is a wonderful speaker, but he can't stick to a script. So we spent a month together allowing him to be able to create messages that resonated with him that also helped him stick to the essence of what they were communicating and be able to stand up on stage and speak clearly to the points that we needed him to talk about and to the audience. And in the end, he was doing so brilliantly except for one thing. He struggled to walk around the stage because what happened was he'd learned the speech so well and when he's comfortable, he can deliver it magnificently. But he was struggling to be able to reconcile the movement factor on the stage with the beauty of his message and his natural authenticity, his ability to talk off the cuff. So we did something very unusual. He sat down on stage and he absolutely nailed it. Wow. And that's, that's a beautiful that's illustration of the fact that his story had a soul. But when we tried to make him wander around all stage, stage like a keynote speaker, he couldn't connect with that soul. When he was sitting down, all of a sudden, he had the audience in the palm of his hand. And I like how you're looking at everything holistically in terms of that storytelling. If it's on a stage, you're looking at the action as well as the the word right and you're looking at um the set and you're looking at everything because it's all part of the story or the narrative being told at any piece that breaks down there or uh comes across as as a bit weak can compromise that overall uh story so i think yeah it's it's this is such an interesting <clears throat> and and fascinating discussion i'm really glad that i brought you on i want to uh, switch over now a little bit to the TED Talk because you've you've just you've mentioned it and I mentioned it at the beginning. You gave a TED Talk, I believe it was seven or eight years ago, and it's called "Confessions of a Liar: Marketing in the Era of Authenticity." Highly recommend the audience go out there and watch it. It's a, it's a short talk. It's it's beautifully done. 
Um, you make a lot of amazing points. One of the things that you say in that that really stuck out to me is you say marketing gives you what you secretly want but did not know that you wanted. So let's talk about that a little bit because I love that um, that perspective. That's a difficult one to unpack because it sounds beautiful, <laughs> but it also deals with authenticity at its core. Mm-hmm. And I suppose the difference here is we're talking about good marketing versus bad marketing. Right. It's, it's not all marketing, obviously. Yeah. Yes. If you think about uh, marketing that is purely transactional, you might not know that you were thirsty, but you see an advert for Coca-Cola or any other brand and you go, oh, I was thirsty. I should have X. You might not have X, but the advertising worked to help you identify what you didn't know you wanted, but you actually wanted. The marketing that I'm talking about in that context is where the people producing that content actually understand what is driving you. So again, we go back to videos and this is ironic because I'm a writer. So, you know, video is second nature to me. It's not first nature to me, but in videos where you identify with the character or the emotion that is going on behind it, what they're doing is they're helping you identify what you secretly want, but didn't know you actually wanted. So if we think about any advert ever of a superstar on a yacht in the sunshine, spraying themselves with a and other fragrance, what you secretly want is not to smell like that superstar. You want the lifestyle. You want the ethos. You want the philosophy. So marketing can give you what you secretly wanted and didn't know you wanted. And you're not talking about manipulation here as much as you're talking about inspiration as well as as pulling out your drivers and saying, okay, we're going to speak to you in a way that you may not be expecting, but it's going to be in a way that really resonates with you. That's exactly beautifully articulated, Kevin. Thank you. Any marketing can help identify your secret wants and desires if it's done well and connects with your audience. Marketing that is authentic does it in a way that helps you go, aha, I knew I had this problem. I just didn't know how to solve it or aha, I had this problem. I just didn't know that these people could help me solve this problem. So when I think about the marketing that I do, I get very excited about working with brands that get it. I love working with companies who understand their audience and who understand what their problems are. Because when marketing is done well, it actually connects the emotions of the audience with the emotion of the seller. And then it's no longer just a transactional relationship. It actually becomes something deeper. It becomes about a genuine need that a customer has and therefore a genuine ability of the marketer to help them solve that problem. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I had uh, three or four more questions I was going to get to, and we are going to be hitting time shortly. But I do want to come to one question in particular. Um because we've talked about a lot and I think I could have you back and I probably will in the future um, because there's a lot more that I would love to ask you. Um, But one thing that I want to talk about a little bit is you've mentioned authenticity. You've mentioned creating content with a soul, empathy, uh, and and really like messages that resonate in a very, like it seems like only, only, creativity at its finest can can develop this sort of thing. Um, um, I want to ask you about the 
elephant in the room right now, which is in, in my in my sort of brain, is AI, chat GPT, all these things that we see kind of taking over um, a lot of discussion around generating art, generating content, generating create like what's your what is your thought on that? At the moment, the way AI and generative content bots are working is that they are able to create vast quantities of content. They will be able to assimilate and reprocess information. Currently, bots cannot replicate soul. Agreed. Notice that I say currently because Who knows? the rate at which artificial intelligence, and I'm talking true artificial intelligence, I'm talking learning machines, the rate at which mm -hmm. they are learning means that that is not likely to remain the case forever. But what changes is the ability of humans to manipulate the tools. So I've seen many people using AI machines to generate content that has no soul. It's It feels wrong somehow. It's... You get yeah. fooled for a few seconds and then you read further and you realize it's, it's not giving you anything. It's like eating junk food. You know, it fills your stomach. Yeah, me, it's just it there. Doesn't you, it doesn't give you any nourishment. Yeah, it's it's bland. I think junk food is a good, because uh, it, it's just there. And it, it is really soulless. And I think soul is a great word to use with regard to describing the antithesis, like, you know, really what that is, because you can tell. I mean, it's not the same thing as a human sitting down and writing something from the heart or generating, you know, a creative piece that you, that just is, is awe-inspiring. The difference is that humans can turn any kind of generative AI tool into something that has soul. And actually, if you're really, really good at giving prompts, you are giving enough of your own soul to the machine to be able to give you something back that sounds soulful. Mm-hmm. If you were able to use those prompts and create content that you can then change and edit and personalize, you're able to come away with something that sounds soulful. But I think that until robots have developed a very clever way of mimicking soul, it still requires humans to be involved. And maybe we should be thinking of ourselves as, as architects, as leaders of AI. And there is a beautiful interview on the, the podcast Diary of a CEO, and he interviews a fellow who used to run AI at Google and who stepped away. He said that the moment that he realized the machines were actually more intelligent than we as humans were able to control was the moment that he realized he had to get out. And he warns us that if we are not good parents of AI, we will end up in a situation where AI is learning from the worst of humanity rather than the best of humanity. So I wouldn't say ignore AI. In fact, I would say ignore AI at your peril. What you need to do with AI is make sure that it is serving humans and that it is able to reflect the best of us. Yeah. Think about your biases and how it's going to replicate that, whether it's, you know, when it comes to cultural things, when it comes to just the peer kind of I guess, negative or dark side of humanity. Like you got to think about, like you said, creating machines for the better. Absolutely. AI is merely another tool in our quiver. We need to be able to master it so that we can use it to enhance life. 
I know many organizations that are using AI to enhance their content. And if people need help to start somewhere or they need help to create something that sounds at the moment like everybody else's things, depending on the prompts you use, that's okay. Because we're not all natural writers and very few people can connect with the soul of something without a lot of effort or a lot of thought. AI can make that faster. Yes, and it has its place for content creation and production and all that. Don't get me wrong. I just, I do think that you're right, though. There's no substitute. And I like the word soul uh, as a means to sort of communicate that. I've been using empathy a lot, but I think soul is a better way to sort of construct that narrative um, and to speak to that. And my final question for you, Gina, is, and I ask this for everybody that comes onto my show, any advice for young people who want to get into the area of of work that you're doing, or even thinking about becoming a writer uh, in marketing and 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 approaching it with um, creating content with it, well, any type of content, but creating content with a soul. Uh, what advice would you give to young people who would like to think about um, establishing themselves there? That's a tricky question, Kevin, because there are two pieces of advice. For someone getting into the industry, my advice would be understand your numbers, understand why you're trying to achieve something and understand how what you do can move the needle. Mm -hmm. If you're a young marketer and you want to be able to make a difference in the world, your future lies in being able to know which triggers to pull and what impact that is going to have. Right. So that's talking at from a strategic perspective. That's talking at it from a board member perspective. It's mm -hmm. might be hard for someone who's going into it to go, well, I don't know what the metrics are. Find out. <laughs> Excellent advice. Care about your metrics because if you know what goal you're serving, you can do everything you can to help serve that goal, whether it's your personal goal or your organization's goal. Mm -hmm. But you asked me a question about how can people coming into content writing do it? And here's my answer. If you are looking to write for a living and write with soul, then you need to be willing to be vulnerable the best content comes when you connect beyond words. The best, just like the best emotional responses come when you are authentic with the way you reply to someone. But there's a difference between replying just because you're angry or you're upset or the best emotional responses come when you're empathetic, when you think about the person that you're communicating to. So if a content marketer wants to write with soul, here's what you do. You think deeply about who you're talking to and why they should care. The best content marketing transcends words because you're actually trying to encapsulate a feeling rather than just a sentence. Hmm. And the advice for young people is this. Try to encapsulate the feeling of the people that you're talking to. Because if you understand what makes them tick and what makes them come alive, you can help them solve their problems because you can show that you really get it. I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. I think that is the perfect way to uh, end cap the show. Thank you so much, Gina, for agreeing to come on. I feel like we've had an incredible discussion here and covered a lot of different areas that I definitely think are going to be uh, useful and valuable for our audience. Um, <clears throat> I want to just do a plug for your book again. Uh, any words of advice on where and how to get your book, first of all? Well, The Secret Army, Leadership, Marketing, and the Power People is available on Amazon. 
So anywhere you can get stuff off Amazon, you can get a copy of the Secret Army book. But if you can't, if there's some reason in your country that you're struggling, get hold of me, please. Reach out to me via LinkedIn. Be authentic in your invitation to connect. And I'll make sure that we somehow get you a copy of that book. And uh, I'm really glad you appreciate it. It's been a few years since it's written. It's nice to know that it stood the test of time. Absolutely. I would definitely, like I said, check out her LinkedIn and check out her Linktree because she has a lot of fascinating links about her work, her thinking, including the TED Talk on there, which everybody should watch because it's just, it's you're such a good speaker and you're speaking on a topic that, I mean, I learned uh, a few things from watching it. Um, thank you so much, Gina. Uh, and thank you, our audience, for listening. Uh, you're listening to All Things Content. I'm Kevin P. Nichols. And with that, I wish you all well, stay well, be well, and continue to do great content. That was All Things Content with Kevin Nichols. Thanks for listening. Remember to leave a like and a comment if you're watching on YouTube, a five-star review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, or a follow if you're listening on Spotify. You can connect with Kevin on LinkedIn or follow him on Twitter at KP Nichols. You can also connect with his company by following Avenue CX on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook at Avenue CX. All Things Content with Kevin Nichols is a production of Kevin P. Nichols and Avenue CX. Thanks again for listening.